Hey everyone, it's Abadesi, your host of Product Hunt Radio, where I'm joined by the founders, investors, and makers that are shaping the future of tech. In this episode, I speak to Jill Saltzman, the founder of Global Entrepreneurship Network, The Founding Moms, all about how to grow and monetize communities. Her site has been named one of the top 10 sites for women entrepreneurs by Forbes, and the community is over 12,000 moms strong, with an online presence and hubs across the US, South America, Europe, and Australia. Here, she explains how she grew the community across the US and globally, and successfully switched from a free offer to generating revenue across different channels. This episode is packed with learnings. Enjoy. Building good products takes a long time. Everyone knows that. A lot of time goes into troubleshooting your apps pre and post deployment. Now, with Headspin, the world's first connected intelligence platform, dev teams, QA, and product teams can save countless hours with unified testing, monitoring, and analytics across applications, devices, and networks. Headspin accelerates time to market and optimizes the performance and functionality of your digital experiences enabled by mobile, web, IoT, and 5G technologies. Learn more at www.headspin.io. Jill, thank you so much for being on Product Hunt Radio today. I've really been looking forward to this interview for a number of reasons. First of all, we are a community and we are a community of makers. So it's always really exciting to have other community builders on on the show and, you know, teaching us about what they've learned. Um, But I'm also just love the fact that you are unlike many other community builders we've had in the show in that your community focuses on moms of which there definitely aren't enough in the tech industry um, but regardless of the focus of the group I, I feel like there's so much to learn from this now global community you've built which of course originally started in the US so I guess maybe I'd just like to start because I know you haven't done founding moms your entire career I might just like to start with how you ended up building communities, maybe based on your previous experiences. And then I want to dive more into founding moms. So yeah, let's tell us how you got into community building in the first place. I'd love that. And I am trying to sound very calm and rational while I talk to my <laughs> product hunt junkie for a very long time. This is really exciting. I'm trying to sound low key. So... <laughs> Part in 2005. In fact, I don't have a history of building community. I started building community with the founding moms in 2010. But oh, wow, cool. for that, I launched my very first business. I helped to manage bands. So I sent them out. I did their booking. I did their publicity. I tried to get artists on tour. And there is something to be said for building community for artists when they're on the road. You sort of create street teams for them. They are like communities, but not at all in the same way that I'm building the founding moms and not very similar to product hunt, but there is crossover. So that was my, my first taste of it. Uh, two years after that, I built a second business, not community related. I sold baby jewelry, uh, on the side while running my first business. Yeah. So I, I was a crazy person, uh, running two businesses at the same time. And when I became pregnant with my second baby, I thought, how on earth does anybody do this? And so for selfish reasons, I went to meetup.com. I launched a meetup just outside of Chicago where I lived at the time. And I said, if you're a woman with a business and a baby, 
please come have coffee with me. Tell me how you're doing it because I think I'm going to lose my mind. It's funny because I used to say, I got really curious, but that's not true. I really was, I was going crazy. So I invited a couple of people. I thought there'd be five of us. I thought it would be a one-off. Turns out about 15-ish women walked into the room, all of our oh, jobs. Wow. Yeah. And we thought, oh my gosh, you too? So I think, you know, I could call it the U2 movement of 2010. So once once we realized we all loved it so much, we thought, well, let's meet up monthly. And about six months in, a woman came up to me and told me she hated driving all the way to this, this location. Could I open up another chapter? And that was pretty much my light bulb moment where I thought, wait a second, there's the internet. I can put a zip code into anywhere in the world. There is a site called meetup.com that this was pre-chapterizing. They didn't even have a term for it yet. But I oh, went, wow. <laughs> yeah, I went bananas. I bought a ton of meetup pages in different cities. I, you know, I, I did a lot of launching at a time where everybody said to me, slow down, hold on. You've got to get it right before you keep on scaling. And I didn't listen to anybody. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, so here we are 10 years in and uh, we're in a lot of places. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, you're in the UK where I live. I live in London, but Singapore, Mexico, South Africa, Guatemala. Anywhere there is a mom entrepreneur, I believe there needs to be what we call founding exchanges, but our masterminds for moms. This is incredible. So kind of going back to the early meetups that you founded. So earlier this year, we hosted our first ever global meetup day. And the idea behind that was to connect the community in real life in as many places as possible. And on the day, we had 73 different meetups happen, which was incredible. And what I learned doing that experience, I sort of led the project was there are a lot of people who are very experienced in the space of organizing events, organizing networking events, or, you know, even like a lunch or a coffee date. And then, you know, you go sort of across the spectrum from very competent participants of meetups to folks who are, you know, not well-versed in them, maybe a bit shy, maybe a bit hesitant, et cetera. So I guess I kind of just want to start off by getting a bit of your insight uh, on folks who kind of fall more on that, like less experience and less confident side of the spectrum. There are probably a lot of makers and folks out there who have identified an interest or identified something unique about their experience and want to connect with others who share that. Maybe they've done a bit of that online and they're kind of thinking about taking that jump to the offline space. Is there any advice that you can give? Because, you know, you just mentioned that you thought one person might show up, you know, and then suddenly 15 people are in the room. How do you sort of deal with that? Okay, I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to find a space. I'm going to put it online. And then how do you mentally prepare yourself for whatever the outcome might be on that very, very first real event? Sure. I think we have to eradicate the fact that networking might be a dirty word. And I Mm. sort of talking to myself because the first few years of running the Founding Moms all I dreamed of was creating a universe of resources, very practical, very actionable for mom entrepreneurs, because nobody pays attention to mom entrepreneurs the way they do women entrepreneurs or other anybody else. So my dream was to have a very practical organization for them, educational, all of the words that a lot of entrepreneurs are glued to. And anytime somebody said to me, well, you run a networking organization, I cringed and I hated it. And I thought, well, if networking comes out of it, sure. Uh, I want to tell everybody listening, I have come quite a long way. You can't be scared of that. And the other part I want to tell you is most of the attendees of our offline experiences 
are the introverts. They are the people who oh, have wow. a lot of trouble getting out from behind their screen, but they understand that 90% of interaction is nonverbal. They understand that when they're at the meeting, they're going to make so much progress with their business that they can't, no matter how many social media channels they're on or whatever they're doing online is going to happen, that they even understand, okay, I'm going to do a lot within the community online, but at a certain point, I have to leave the house or the office because it's just the most efficient way to have progress or growth as a founder. That's just, there's no two ways about it. Uh, so I on, love that. For years, people said to me, you know, Jill, you have to stop focusing on the offline arena and you have to really build up an online platform. So about four years ago, we launched what we call the FMC, the Founding Moms Community, which is a paid membership site, online only. If you like to hide behind your screen, you can join us. You can participate in webinars and challenges and get all of that practical stuff I want you to get. But, you know, it's no one can drive me away from this offline thing because I know in my heart of hearts, 10 years in, there is nothing that trumps meeting up in real life at all. I love that. I think you're so right. I think it's almost just taking it back to where the real impact lies, right? Like you found that when folks met up in real life, they got so much more out of it than they could online. And I'm reflecting on my own experiences here. You know, I think this is really important. When I first quit my job, I had a tech job in 2015 and I quit that to work on this idea I had building a community around women of color and other underrepresented people in tech, you know, still in junior roles or maybe mid-level, but aspiring for more. What I found was when I started having conversations about my idea online, it was very easy for people to just sort of dismiss the idea quite quickly. It wasn't maybe something that they were familiar with, or it doesn't have any obvious business model. And what I found was that I started almost talking myself out of it before I'd done anything, because so many of the responses that I received online were really negative. And similar sort of thing when I went to run-of-the-mill tech industry events. But I think, again, you know, by virtue of the problem I was solving, because a lot of people weren't at the events that could kind of relate to this problem. And then something really changed when I started going to meetups that were purely focused on women in tech. And suddenly it was like this penny drop. People were like, oh my God, there's such a big demand for that. There's such a need for that. I would love to come to these events. What kind of workshops are you going to run? I want to learn about this. I want to learn about that. I want to be around other women that are learning about that. And I just suddenly thought, oh my gosh, that's so incredible. And I think, you know, maybe sometimes we have to appreciate that just because one person finds the internet to be the perfect place to do everything doesn't mean that I'm necessarily experiencing the internet in the same way. And I don't actually think it's the perfect place for anything that we're talking about in terms of building yeah. an actual community where you can say, I have 50,000 people in a community online and everybody is helping each other every single second of the day. While I'm sure that's true, the extent to which you can help each other is not possible online. I don't believe yes. that at all. Uh, and so to your point earlier about, you know, what do folks do if they're really, if they feel very shy, if they are scared that everybody, I often get the, uh, I often get approached and told, well, I don't want to join your community because you all seem to know what you're doing and we don't know what we're doing. So I kind of have a mission to tell everybody, nobody knows what we're doing. None of us. <laughs> and the reason you have to come out, stop hiding is because you are actually sabotaging your own success. Uh, I, I really do feel that strongly about it. I sort of sound like a an offline, I don't know, 
nightmare of a, of a leader. Uh, but I, I just, you know, the, the fact that you began this interview by saying we've never had somebody on who focuses on moms and, you know, you don't really see that in the product hunt community. I'm going to suggest that maybe there are lots of us in there, but nobody talks about the fact that they are a mom entrepreneur. They're an entrepreneur. They don't like to use the word mom. They don't want people to know they're distracted by kids. So that's yet another mission I find myself having to sort of forge ahead and say is that there are tons of women with kids who are making things, who are creating not just community, all kinds of things, and don't want to say it because nobody else is. I love that. I love that. I think um, there's so many things in what you said that I relate to. Um, that idea of never feeling ready, like, oh, I want to join your community, but I'm not ready, is something that seems to echo across the entire makers community. You know, this community of people making and creating and building things. There are so many times when people say, oh, I want to launch on Product Hunt, but I'm not ready. And, you know, you'll hear someone else say like, oh, you know, I want to share my app, but I'm not ready. I want to show my portfolio, but I'm not ready. And I love that you you remind folks that, you know, you're you're never ready. And I say that all the time too. You know, when people are like, oh, you know, I don't know how to run a business. I say, well, you know, neither do I. Like I'm learning as I go. I mean, it seems to be working, but I hope I'll get better. The big wigs out there, you know, Jeff Bezos, he doesn't totally know what he's doing either. I mean, he's come a long way, but nobody knows. And I love when you what you just said was uh, that a lot of people think I want to launch on Product Hunt, but I'm not ready. And I think if you flip that to, I want to launch on Product Hunt and I'm not ready, that's what the community's for. They're going to help point out all of the things that are wrong. They're going to help you thrive and survive. I don't if you if you learn to lean on the community and become a little more vulnerable than you're used to. I can't tell you how exponentially you're going to grow. And just kind of going back to the early days of of founding Moms and, you know, the events, I'm curious how you thought about structure or agenda or anything like that. Was it something that you intentionally wanted to develop or was it more about creating the space for people to surface things themselves? Yeah, I'm going to be real transparent. When we began, we being me, myself and I, uh, yes. I was just desperate to get people to show up because I realized there was this was so much bigger than anything I'd ever done that I mm. charged, are you ready for this? Zero dollars for you to come to any meetup in any city. I oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I quickly realized I didn't like the, the baby jewelry business that I ran. So 20, oh my goodness, what was it? 2011 or 12, I sold it and I used those funds to fund the beginning of what is now the founding moms, but I would show up to a meeting with no agenda, with nothing except a goofy smile on my face going like, hi, what do you want to talk about? Uh, and I realized pretty quickly that everybody is going, well, where's our leader? Who uh, is this organized? You know, it was a really negative reaction. So I showed up one day with a piece of paper where I'd scribble down a little agenda and I couldn't believe how many people thought, oh, she's so organized. She's so organized. <laughs> So I started printing them rather than scribbling. Uh, and, you know, slowly it evolved. I, I'm very much a proponent of ask your customers what they want and then do it. So, you know, I would slowly say, oh, do you like the agenda? What should we tweak? Oh, do you guys? Some lady came up to me later on months in and said, where's your newsletter? And I said, no one reads a newsletter. And so little by little, people would lead me. Uh, and so now if you come to one of our founding exchanges, much more structured. You know, we have an agenda. We have themes. We have 
real stuff and pieces of paper we give you. And it's, it's much more, uh, it's just much more driven towards an actual goal, which is nice. But if I had known all of this at the beginning, there's no way I would have known this. I, I don't know how I would have. Uh, so I love that the community helped me, you know? I love that. Um, I love the honesty. Always appreciate, you know, when folks come on the show and are just like, you know, there's no magic formula. I wasn't enlightened by the heavens. I just, you know, showed up, did my best, and here we are. We need more of that in the creative and maker sphere. Otherwise, you know, the folks who are sitting on a great idea and are too afraid to start never will. So I appreciate that. I think that's awesome. I wanted to just sort of carry on that point that you just made around how it was the community that really sort of fed into what you decided you needed to provide. So, you know, when folks were like, oh, we could have this and we could have that. And you're like, okay, great. I'm going to have an agenda. I'm going to build that. Was there any framework structures, processes that you established in the first few years of the community that helped you get that information from the other members of the community so that you could keep evolving. I mean, you already gave one example of someone saying, Hey, I can't drive that far. Can we have one in our, in my city? But yeah, what were the ways that you just ensured you continued to hear what the community needed and you built that for them? Yeah. I think every single meeting that I would attend, and again, this was monthly back in the day, I would ask at that meeting, what do you all need? What's going on? Or I would just be a really good listener. I mean, if you couldn't tell, I really like to talk. But, you know, I tried to be very quiet at my meetings and just hear what was going on, what was the sort of commonalities among everybody who attended. And I would be informed eventually, oh, we now need a newsletter. Oh, we now need an online platform. They would just lead me very slowly. Some things I would resist because back in the day, as most makers listening know, when you start out, you think you know everything that your customers and clients need. Uh, and that was just disproven over and over again with me. So I, I, you know, I just really think it takes a lot of good listening and asking. I, I now, by the way, um, I started out with a monthly newsletter. Then I moved to one every two weeks. I now send out a daily newsletter. And in almost every single one, I invite anybody to reply to me. Uh, I don't think they believe that it's actually me, but it is. And I, you know, I'll say like, what do you need? What's going on? Uh, and people, it's interesting. They will tell you if they need something, they will let you know. I love that. I think one of the things that I want to be better at, and uh, I feel all of us want to be better at, especially in this age of short attention spans and distraction is listening. You sort of pointed that out earlier and you're like, you know, sometimes I'm just a really good listener, but I think it is hard to listen. And I think sometimes it's even harder to listen when you're a maker, a creator, a community builder, and you hear something negative or you hear someone disagreeing with a style or structure. So I would love to hear from you advice on either how you thickened your skin or how you were able to put yourself in a place where folks could even, you know, criticize decisions you'd made about the community, but you were able to still make use of those things. Yeah. Well, you know what, online, it's very easy to, again, hide behind the screen. So if I need to pull my community, hey, would you guys like A, B, or C? They will answer. There's no kickback fighting, etc. But I do notice, especially for folks like you and me, who I, I have a podcast as well called Breaking Down Your Business. So I'm used to not only talking a lot, but I'm often, it's, it's suggested to me, talk over my co-host because it makes for better radio, right? Right. So, so when I get 
in front of people in real life. It is much easier for me to take out an actual physical notepad or a laptop. And as I'm taking notes, it sort of reinforces the listening part. And I, not unlike an interviewer, ask a lot of questions so that they can fill me in. And I try not to make them leading questions. And the best, really the best route is just ask the question and let them talk. And you know, bite your tongue if you need to. <laughs> and as the community has grown and scaled into other regions, I'd love to hear about how you handled that. So I know there are a lot of folks who, you know, similar analogies really to like building a product or like trying to get, you know, your community into other places. How did you approach that? Like, was it something where the community members took the lead in those places? Did you physically go there to start the community in those places? Tell us about that. I would often at the beginning, uh, for the first few years, I would reach out via email. I would reach out via any online platform. Hey, you're in the city. I have an interest in launching in that city. Do you want to do it? Do you know anybody who might? Uh, because at the beginning, again, I didn't know what I was doing. And if you expressed even an inkling of interest, you became a leader for the founding moms, which is ridiculous now that we do it very differently. Nice. <laughs> but, but we did not vet anybody. I was just so grateful that you were even interested. Um, that that's how we did end up popping up in a lot of cities, even if the turnover was high. Even if a month later she thought, well, this is disorganized. I'm leaving. Uh, then we had a base there or a starting point to then find somebody else and fill them in. We've morphed quite a bit. We now have an onboarding process. I don't do nearly as much outreach as I used to do. Fortunately, they get in touch with us if they want to live in the city. Yeah. Um, but there are certain cities I'm dying to launch in, and then I still do a lot of outreach on LinkedIn. I say on podcasts like this one, if you have interest, please reach out to me. Because again, I think we should be in, you know, within a five mile radius of every mom entrepreneur's home. And there are a lot of moms in the world. I love that. That's incredible. Um, I, I like that, you know, similar to other things you've said, the process has just evolved as you've realized where it needs refinement. But I think the thing that most stood out to me in what you just said was that you have not really had to do as much outreach recently because you get a lot of inbound interest. And I just wondered, like, could you share the tactics and strategies that have helped get you to that place where folks are reaching out to you and wanting to start chapters? Oh, man, we could be on here a long time. We do a <laughs> lot of content marketing. Name a platform. We're probably there. Not TikTok, but our moms, are, <laughs> you know, everywhere that I post anything, a blog, if it's our newsletter, it, if it's a podcast interview, I will talk about how we want to hear from you. And I'm always inviting people to reach out. We have, if you go to foundingmoms.com slash start dash one, O-N-E, you'll see there's a form there. So I often send out the form and remind folks that we have it, that they can fill it out, find out a little bit more about what is involved, and then, you know, essentially apply so that we can consider you and start the onboarding if we like you. But there's just constant, letting folks know. We also do a lot of press outreach and have been covered by quite a few media outlets, I'm very proud to say. So within those, you know, more and more people hear about us and go, oh, what is this? I want this in my area, et cetera. 
That's incredible. Um, so I'm going to challenge you on this because I think you are an incredible case study for us to learn from this. You sort of mentioned content marketing, like someone that does it all day, every day, and we're all going to know exactly what that means. Um, could you give us like a bit more insight into the types of stories you share across these platforms? Do you focus like specifically on the challenges that mom entrepreneurs face? Just talk to us about the kind of storytelling that you do, because I want people who are listening to be able to think of how they can apply it. I should be more embarrassed than I am, but well, I sort of am on a personal mission to let folks know business doesn't have to be boring. So it's actually rather on, on the silly side. So I dress up in costume with boas and mustaches for every webinar that I do. Uh, <laughs> my Instagram feed, if you go to at founding mom, is me looking absolutely ridiculous. And I think that is a big attractor because that helps particularly mom entrepreneurs realize Oh, she does look like someone who doesn't know what she's doing. She's <laughs> like me, I'm a very, very pro-looking business person. So to that end, my newsletter, our blog, uh, I'm thinking through it, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, everywhere. It's pretty silly and snarky and, hey, come be one of us. We're transparent and vulnerable and we all don't know what we're doing. Please come help us kind of mentality. The only place where I tend to challenge traditional views, tend to be a lot more serious, um, is on Medium. And that's extremely recent, like literally two posts in, because I realized, oh, there should be one place where they know that I know something. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to highlight that. I did a TED Talk in 2011, so people can find me and go, oh, she does some serious stuff, but I prefer the the very wacky side of business. It's much more fun over here, you know? Yes, that's incredible. I love this idea of building a brand that's very approachable, doesn't take itself too seriously, particularly in a space where people are taking themselves very seriously, um, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, it's, it drives me crazy. Like, you know, don't bother. And what I do love about that for makers who are thinking about their own branding uh, over the years, I mean, I started out years ago acting very professional, looking very professional, meaning flat ironed hair, black suits, et cetera. Uh, and the earlier I've gotten, the more money that we've made. So if you're thinking of coming out of the proverbial closet in that sense, uh, it really helps not only to attract your people, but it will help you to reject all the people who are just not your speed, which I know for new makers is, is very heartbreaking but is also really wonderful for growing something successful rather than getting everybody, you know, on the bus and then having to dump later. I kind of want to just like make you say that over and over again, because I feel like what you've said just now is really important. The idea of not being afraid to be very, very bold about what you're doing and who you are, not yes, only to attract the right you. people, yeah, but also to turn away the wrong ones, right? Oh, it's the best, you guys. It is the best if you do it. I mean, we get people who show up in business suits who are just, I'm going to call them out now. They're just really boring people. And they show up and they have very specific expectations of what we should offer. And when they realize they're in a room of very, I think, normal women, who to them are crazy, um, and I shouldn't use that word, but I'm using it boldly and bravely, uh, I think that they all are either turned off or they think, you know what, this isn't the place for me. I'm going to go join a much more formal organization. That's fantastic because they've helped free up room for us to have all of the right people involved. 
they would ruin it for us if they did join us and tried to be a part of the community. Like so many reasons why it doesn't work that the more you can be you, and I don't mean if you use the F word throughout the day a thousand times, right. I'm using that in business. That's not what I mean, but just your flavor. What's your, you know, who you are is going to attract me way more than what you type out on a piece of paper. That makes sense. Yes, I agree. And I think many, many folks can relate to that and, and understand that. Maybe one thing that I would just love to challenge you on. So, um, or maybe not challenge is the right word, but just kind of get you to speak more on. So, um, a lot of the times when I hear from makers, especially ones who are in the earlier stages. So, you know, your brand is like turning 10 this year. That's an incredible achievement, but let's say folks are still in the first couple of years or so of building their community there tends to be a hesitation to be bold because makers feel that they still aren't a hundred percent sure of what the brand will look like. You know, they want to sort of strike that perfect balance between assumptions, personal experiences, whilst leaving enough space for the community and the outside world to also you know, input their thoughts and feelings, et cetera, about the brand. And then like, you know, the the makers often say to me, I don't want to be too directive in case, you know, I'm closing off the opportunity for others to also chime in. So I just want to know, since you have (laughs) just gone full blaze, how have you found the courage to do that? You should not be scared of shooing people away. You in fact should use that as one of your goals, because if, your goals is to get the wrong people out of there, that's going to help you shine in an area where you and I can call it bold, but I think that sounds really scary for people who feel like they're not yet bold. I think if you just highlight more of who you are, if you're a very funny person, bring that out in your copy, bring that out in your interviews. If you're a very, I like to think of Apple as the example of a brand that's very snobby, very sort of intellectual. If that's you, don't shy away from it. You know, like do that full out because we're just going to know a lot quicker who you are, what you're building, what you're looking for. And if those of you are scared of, well, I don't want to go too far for fear that I drive people away. We've already covered you want to drive them away. But also I will tell you that every time I do my webinars, there is a one or two women who will email me and they will say, Jill, stop wearing all of the costume stuff. Don't wear the sunglasses. Take off the boa because the the words you're using and the stuff you're teaching is so valuable, you're devaluing it by dressing up in costume. And I keep thinking I'm very flattered that they're hearing what I'm saying, but I'm so sorry. That just doesn't align with my brand. I'm going to keep on wearing a mustache if I feel like it, because that's me. That's who I am. So you will get feedback. There is no balance. You'll get feedback on whether you went too far, whether it felt too weird, but I'm going to guess for you that the more you you are, the more positivity you're going to experience and you're going to be very surprised by it, but it's, it's going to be great feedback. And I think that's, a, yeah. The more you, you are, the better you're going to do. <laughs> it sounds so simple. It's really hard. It's taken years for me to get there, by the way, years. Uh, Cause that, that's one thing I wanted to ask. Like I, I was curious, do you feel that since becoming a parent, you were able to be more you? Because one thing that I've noticed as you know, a 30 something person, I have friends who 
haven't had kids yet. I have friends who are expecting their second. And when I hang out with my ones who are parents, my friends who are parents, it's like their perspective on the world has like had this huge shift. And I just wondered if that maybe like plays a role in like you being able to hone in so much on what you value and what you want to do with your company. I think to some degree, you're right that there is a tiny bit of you as a parent when you have a baby that makes you go, yeah, I care a little less now. However, I actually see most of our members are attracted to our community because of the opposite, because they're actually more fearful of being themselves. They are more burdened with more tasks. They have more on their minds and they've, in a sense, lost themselves and what's guided them before that. Or when they had the baby, they realize I'm a different person now and I'm scared to bring that out because it's brand new. So I see a lot of, well, and you know what? That's just one perspective because that's what we attract. So perhaps there are a host of women out there who feel differently. But what I see mm. in every city, in every country, is that she is so scared to be herself. That's why she shows up with, to the founding moms. And then she realizes, oh, everybody else is doing this. Okay, this is cool. I'm going to proceed. And she needs that enforcement, you know? Yes, that is really that is really interesting. I love that. I love that. So let's let's talk a bit about the fact that you know at the beginning of the journey when it was an experiment, really, wasn't it? You're like, I'm going to do an event, see what happens. I'm not going to charge anyone. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Then you know, at the point where you're at now, where it is a business and there are options, um, you know, to invest in membership and get a ton of benefits from that. Can you sort of take us back to? how you planned the transition starting essentially as something that's free. Cause this is something that so many business owners are totally scared of. They've offered something free for a while and now it's time to monetize. And they're like, Oh my God, everyone's going to go away. Of course they don't. But can you talk us through one, the practicalities of it? Like how did you sort of create a pricing structure and then two, how you overcame the mindset as a maker to kind of go, okay, I'm doing this. Yeah, once again, I feel like I should be more embarrassed than I am with what I'm about to tell you. I would probably have gone, gone on being free for a lot longer than we were. I think we were about three or four years for free. And then what's funny is the only thing that changed our course that way was our members would say, why aren't you charging anything? And I would think, why are you offering to pay? And I think now I know, years into this, they were perceiving so much value that they felt badly showing up and not paying anything. So I, are you ready for this? I went to a whopping $10 a person per month. Yes, $10. Wow. And I, what's funny about that to me is that the jump from zero to 10 was so full of fear. I was just pooping in my pants everywhere I went thinking no one's going to oh my God, they're all going to leave. They're all going to hate me. Ego involved in it. And then when that worked and nobody ran away, I was so blown away that I thought like, wait a second, can I keep doing that? So <laughs> we haven't gone much farther. We're, we are now 35 bucks a month uh, for our online community. And which is like literally more than I mean, it's like a dollar and some a day. It's cheaper than a latte every day. Uh, and if you join a city, one of our founding exchanges, and you join pretty much in most of our cities at this point, you also join the online community. So that's 60 bucks. 
we used to be 35 and 35. So just to give you some math there, how I came upon the $35 a month pricing, I Googled other communities and I saw what's everybody else charging. And because anyone can do that online with communities, I sort of, you know, I, I picked a number that was slightly above what I was seeing on average because I want them to know. I want to give the perception that they're getting a lot more from us. By the way, they're getting way more than 35 bucks worth from us every month. Uh, but we're sort of, you know, I still feel like we're a bit of a startup. So we're starting there. We have a whole new format of our exchanges. We're changing a lot right now at the Founding Moms. Uh, so until we have another price hike, I'm very happy where it is. There was no formula literally everything I do is trial trial and error. I wanted to um, switch gears a bit and talk about behind the scenes of your business, because I know it's always really interesting for other makers and entrepreneurs to know like the structure of teams and how founders get help. So I would love to hear from you, you know, how do you get everything done? What does your team look like or the folks that help you run things? Yeah, I have a very small team. I have no employees. They are just contractors. I have, and I have an awful lot of support in the way of our members, but we have a leader in each city who's, you know, my eyes and ears on the ground in those different cities. I have a social media strategist on my team who helps with a lot of the content that we do for all of the content creation I was talking about. I have a designer slash developer. I can't live without her. We've worked together for over a decade. I literally worry about the day that she falls ill, what will happen. I'm so attached to her. Uh, yeah, she was, like everything I say, she is able to design. And so what you see on foundingmoms.com is from my brain, but is all her. It's amazing to me. I, just, I can't draw a stick figure to save my life. Uh, I have <laughs> three virtual assistants. I'm a huge VA proponent. I think you're all missing out if you don't have one because uh, they're extremely affordable and amazing at getting things done with you. I have some folks who help run our different programs. So we have a business coaching program within the Founding Moms community. Uh, so there's a woman who is our business coach, sort of leader of that program. Everyone involved, I have a podcast co-host. Uh, we have an engineer of that podcast. Uh, so it's funny. I always think I have a very tiny team. It's a lot of people. It's just formally, according to the IRS, there's no one who works with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm I'm curious as to how three virtual assistants work. You must have a super busy inbox. I love it. You know what's funny? No, I have a busy Slack. I'm a slacker. Okay. So, yeah, one of them, I call her our founding exchange director. She helps me organize all of the offline universe. I have another one who is just a research person who just helps me find contacts. We do a lot of sponsorship stuff at the Founding Moms. And then I have a third one who comes in and out, but sort of helps with design here and there. Amazing. Right. Okay. So they're also, because I was thinking like, you know, in the original sort of old school way of an assistant, someone that's sort of doing your scheduling and this and that. And I was like, she has three. She must be like in and out calls and meetings all day. I can't hand off the scheduling. I don't understand why people do. I can't stand those calendars online. I do all my own scheduling. I think I'm a little old school that way. I don't know. I don't understand I have fights with lots of people about this because everybody else seems to love it, but it's not for me. (laughs) And I think as a community leader, you might find this too. Even though I do have a team, I freaking love my team more than anybody. I tend to lean on so many other people on the daily for advice because 
it's just how I'm used to doing things, building a community. If I have a marketing question and nobody on my team might know it, I go to my marketing friend. She's not on my team officially, but she'll give me great advice. You know, I, I have a lot of people like that in my world. I love that. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I, I love just the pockets of groups of different individuals who are incredibly, you know, upskilled on things compared to me that I can just get their advice from. It's not to be underestimated. Amazing. So just as we're nearing the end of our interview, sadly, because I want to keep you on the phone and just download your brain and learn everything. Um, I wanted to ask you two questions, just because these are the questions that our makers love the most. And the first one is about your own personal development, leadership development, founder development. How do you invest in yourself? And then I will ask you the second question next. <laughs> I would say that I go and I get manicures and facials all the time, but I don't. How do I invest in myself? You know what? I'm, I'm constantly, constantly reading, listening to other podcasts, just educating myself all the time on the latest, greatest, newest. I rely on my members to let me know what they're reading or learning. We're all kind of learning together and doing this and growing. I mean, it's so funny. I have to drink the Kool-Aid. If my organization is built upon the idea that I'm helping you build a better business, you can be sure I drink the Kool-Aid and I also learn how to build a better business from them. So I kind of feel like we're all just doing it together all the time. I don't even know I love that. the question, but that's what I do. No, I, I think that's incredible and it works and that's great and, you know, power to it. That's incredible. So my second question for you, being product hunt, we are obsessed with products, whether that's an app or, you know, a new smart home device, anything really it might even be like fun little gadget, little toy, tinkery thing. So this is my favorite part of the show because I just get to ask you what products you're obsessed with right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And by the way, I'm so obsessed that I told you I have a daily newsletter every day that it goes out, I put in a tool at the bottom of my newsletter. People love it. I always get them from Product Hunt. So oh, cool. it dries a little bit from your site. Uh, oh my God. I don't even know where to begin with tools. I am obsessed with Slack. You guys are where I found a tool called Loom, L-O-O-M, that just records screenshots for free or, or video of your screen. Um, I absolutely love and still recommend a product you guys recommended a long time ago called Marco Polo, that if you turn it on and then you drop your phone between the couch cushions, you can shout Marco and your phone will shout Polo. So you can find that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So if you haven't downloaded Marco Polo, highly recommend. Uh, I used to love playing that game in the pool. Oh, I love it. There are really too many. I could go on and on, but I won't. <laughs> That's good for now. I love that. Thank you. Now for folks who've been listening and they want to find out more about you, more about the community, where should they go? I'd love for you all to go to foundingmoms.com. We are doing a revamp. You're never supposed to tell people that, but it's coming. Uh, so what you see there might be gone tomorrow. And all Ooh. literally everywhere. If you look up Jill Salzman or you go to at founding mom or at founding moms anywhere, you will find me. So reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me how terrible this interview was. Tell me not how at all. Start an exchange somewhere. Any? I don't care. Anything. Let me know. Well, Jill, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for being on Product Time Radio. Fantastic. You're awesome. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into Product Hunt Radio. I've got a favor to ask you. Will you take a minute to review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts? 
or wherever you're listening to us right now. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, share the podcast with your friends on Twitter and tag a guest you'd like to hear in a future episode. See you soon.